So right now, I work at Davis and Elkins College. Some of you guys are aware of that little place over there in Elkins. Um, I do finance. Um, so the difference between me and an accountant is an accountant is friends with numbers. And so I have to deal with the humans um, in the course of dealing with money things. So if any of you are going to college or you have been to college, you're aware there's a financial aspect. I'm the guy that, that whenever the bill comes, um, it's got my name on it and you have to talk to me about it. Um, but before that, um, I was a um, director for a scholarship program. So instead of taking your money, I used to give out money. Um, people liked me a lot better at that point. Um, but before that, I was a substitute teacher, uh, which was a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. Um, I actually subbed in my wife's class one time. And um, she came at the end of the day, and she had a kitten and said, hey, we're bringing a kitten home. And I said, oh, okay. And so she brought it to the classroom and it crawled around on my shoulders and we still have him. We actually brought him with us to our honeymoon. We snuck him over the border in Canada. It was a simpler time. Um, but before all that, I did this. Stood here silently. There it is. Isn't that great? Yeah. So I worked at McDonald's. Uh, and so I was there for a Shrek promotion. And so uh, they had us wear these hats, and it's got the little Shrek ears you can, you can kind of see. And uh, I was really thrilled about that, as you can tell. I was really happy to have that. Uh, joke is on them. I actually sold that hat on eBay for 25 bucks. And I made somebody very happy, actually. A grandmother messaged me after she sold it, or after she bought it. She's like, my granddaughter's going to really like this. I'm like, okay. I don't have to look at it anymore, so that's good. Um, so... The thing about working at fast food, uh, and if any of you guys have worked a fast food restaurant or you've waited tables or anything, but especially fast food, is you're, you're really working with a small window of time to interact with people, right? You've got like 45 seconds-ish, something like that, okay? Uh, you know, in the service industry, you're working with the humans, right? You, you deal with the humans, and the humans are not always at their very best when they're ordering a McRib. That's not the high point of their day a lot of times, right? Sometimes that's the very lowest point of their day is the McRib run. Yeah, uh, you like McRibs, that's okay. Um, the vast majority, and here's a tip for somebody if you've never been in food service, the vast majority of people you work with in fast food are forgettable. Uh, you want to be that person unless you're memorable because you give them money. Right, that's really the only other thing that can make a fast food worker happy is if you give them a tip, which doesn't happen. So be forgettable because the ones you remember are not always the best, right? Um, somebody threw the little sauce packets at my head one time because I gave them the wrong ones. They were really angry and I don't know if you've been to McDonald's but they're plastic, right? And they've got little sharp edges and they hurt and they threw them at my head. Um, they're not the little cushy ketchup packets like you get at Taco Bell or whatever. They threw them at me. Um, had somebody call me very naughty names over the intercom because guess what was broken? What's always broken? The ice cream machine. It's always broken. It was, was it you? Did you live in Grundy, Virginia around 2007? Okay, it wasn't you. Okay, no one passes through Grundy unless you mean it, trust me. Um, Somebody, uh, this was my favorite, Grundy, Virginia is in the southwest corner of Virginia in the middle of nowhere. It's coal country, uh, and you have to want to get there. And so one time they complained to the manager because the order was wrong, and I was the person who gave them the order, and they said I had a snooty northern accent that they didn't appreciate. <laughs> yeah. 
Because I always talk with them over the intercom like this. Oh, that's how I like to talk with people over the intercom. So I used to get angry, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is you work with people at some point, even if you're the most effervescent, outgoing person, uh, you get angry when people start doing these things, right? I mean, I defy you to get unangry when people are throwing things at you out of anger, right? I defy you, especially if it's like at 4 a.m. Um, but it's hard not to take it personally. It's like, I didn't do anything to you people. I'm just trying to get you your McRib and get you out of here. That's all I want. I don't know why I keep going back to McRib, but that's what I'm going to. Uh, between waiting tables in college uh, and, and working at McDonald's, um, I was in fast food or food service of some variety for seven years. Seven years I worked in food service. Uh, and, and then I moved on. And I don't wear a Shrek hat anymore. I mean, not in public. But I, I, I still serve people, right? I, I don't work at a desk in a cubicle. Um, I work with people. I, I work at a desk in an office, and people come in and, and cry sometimes. But that's okay. But I still work with people. Um, and... The fact of the matter is, people are still not at their very best. In fact, I argue that the stakes are higher. If you've gone to college, you are aware that college is very expensive. Uh, and so instead of dealing with a $5 order, you're dealing with a $5,000 college bill, right? And so the stakes are higher. So I don't always get to see people at their very best, right? Um, you know, my mom was an amazingly empathetic person. She was probably the most empathetic person I've ever met in my life. I mean, to, to the extent, like, if, if she encountered anybody rude and we were with her, she would just kind of cringe and go, oh, they're just, they must be having a bad day. Even if it was directed at, at her. Oh, they must be having a bad day. She'd kind of shake her head and we would move on. Um, and I had grumpy teachers who were, who were grouchy. She would say, now look, be nice to them. Not all of the kids that they're teaching are great. And if you're in education, you know, not all the, not all the kids are great. Preach, thank you. They're not all good. So... The default, you know, she always said, don't get steamrolled. Don't be kind to the point where people run over you. But kindness is your default for interacting with people. That should be the default. That's your, that's your, that's your default. And even if you have to wear a ridiculous, horrible Shrek hat, you're still kind, right? So you just never know is the thing. Because people are always fighting battles. Everybody in this room has a battle. It can be anything. It can be anxiety. It can be depression. It can be loss. It can be finances, school, work, a small child, parenting, marriage, which is the easiest battle of all. <laughs> and sometimes it takes its toll, second only to parenting a small child. But despite our battles, guys, Despite these, no matter how big they are, we are called to an understanding of those who are also fighting. Because a grumpy customer getting a cheeseburger, might, their dog might have died that morning, right? Uh, an exasperated, impatient woman sending back food that had something in it she said not to have might have almost taken a bite of something that could kill her because she's allergic to it. And she might be anxious. A misbehaving child in a grocery store late at night, you know, their parents might work all day, and that's the only time they get to spend together and go to the grocery store to pick up food. 
So if you're in there on a beer run at 11 o'clock at night and you're thinking, wow, that kid is really losing it, maybe they're just overtired, but their parents wanted to be out with them, right? So they're always fighting a battle. Everybody's fighting a battle. Empathy and compassion are how we frame our understanding of those who are fighting on a very basic level. And most importantly, Jesus tells us that empathy and compassion are actually the concepts that should inform how we treat others around us. That's not something that we go back to when we're in a great mood or when everything's going well for us. That is the way we are commanded to treat others. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke 7, and we're going to start at verse 11. And so got a little story of Jesus taking a little bit of a hike. Uh, so soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of the mother. She was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. He went up and he touched the beer that they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And when the Lord, the dead man sat up and he began to walk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout the countryside. Now, back up a second. So, in Scripture, before this happened in Scripture, Jesus was in the town of Capernaum. And uh, we, we've got a slide here. So, you see that little squiggle right there? Yeah, that's Capernaum to Nain. It's spelled differently. Uh, but it's, it's just a, a little 26-mile jaunt on uh, Route 65 in Israel, if that's your thing. Um, and about, what, 48 minutes? Is that what that is? So about 49 minutes. So it's like a West Virginia road, pretty much. 26 miles, 49 minutes. That's about right. But Jesus didn't have a car, right? He didn't have Uber. He didn't have a bicycle, right? He had his feet. No, he had to walk 26 miles, not over flat land either. He had to negotiate Mount Tabor, the slope, of Mount Mora, a few plains in between to get there, okay, on foot. And on the way, by the way, it's not just that he's just walking. <laughs> no, he's talking. There's a crowd with him. He had picked up a huge crowd for where he was, not to mention his disciples. Any of you guys ever run a marathon? No, we had one person last time. I, I ran a half, and I wanted to die for like two days afterward. But he walked 26 miles while talking to people, and he got to the gates, right? He got to the gates of name. And he just wanted to go in and get a burrito or whatever the local equivalent of a burrito was, right? So he gets there, and what? there's a crowd of people there. <laughs> I mean, you ever get to the end of a long drive, and there's traffic, and you're like three miles from a hotel, and you're like, I just want to get there, Right? That's Jesus. He's got this huge crowd of people, and all he wants to do is go in and lay down and relax a little bit, and, and, and there's people there. And so, you know, <laughs> go back to verse 13. Imagine this. He's got this crowd. He goes back, and he says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. So this guy walked 26 miles, 26 miles, and he's blocked from getting to where he needs to go. And his first instinct is to say, it's okay. Don't cry. It's his first instinct. 
How many of you guys at the end of a trip like that are going to go and be compassionate? That's a tough thing. Justin likes to talk about uh, the butts of the Bible, which for those of you who are new, it's, it's, it's not like a beefcake calendar for disciples. It's the butts. <laughs> Everything that comes after the word but in the Bible. Okay? I like the ands, right? Uh, there are a lot of times in the Bible when Jesus does stuff and there's an and attached to it. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that happens and there's an and attached to it. And I love that because that means that there's something about to happen. There's something that's about to happen when there's an and, right? So if you go back to that, if you take everything out of and on verse 13, look at what it says. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Full stop. Ah, it's terrible. Let's go. Wander away. That's an awful verse, right? So, I mean, he's not just standing there going, well, that sucks to be you, man. Let's go. Let's get out of here. No, he's not doing that. That's not what happens because we're not called to just feel badly for people who are struggling. We're called to extend a hand, right? We're not called to just feel badly. We're called to extend a hand. And what does Jesus do? He says, don't cry. And then he brought her son back to life. Young man, get up. I mean, can you, can you imagine what that scene was like? But here's the thing. Sometimes acting out of empathy and compassion brings, out, brings us out of our comfort zone because no matter what, compassion's not always convenient, right? Compassion's not always convenient. It's not always easy to fit compassion and empathy into our schedules. It's not always easy to keep it in the forefront of our mind when we're interacting with people or when we're forming our opinions, um, Sometimes extending a hand means putting down something that you already have, that you're holding, right? Because Galatians verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. I mean, I hear that and I'm thinking, my hands are full. I got stuff. I got, you know, I got kids and I got, I got work and I got to do a sermon and I've never done this before and... I got to do music and I've got a play that I'm doing and I got all this, I, you know. And I, I got to put this stuff down and put it, pick up somebody else's stuff? Yeah. Yes. We're not asked to do that by God. We're commanded to do that by God. Because if we do that, if we're all willing to shoulder the burdens of those around us, then all of our stuff gets carried, right? That's not being communist. That's understanding that when you drop some stuff and everyone else is trying to pick up other stuff, that everyone's stuff's going get, to get moved, right? Because not just by us either, right? Because God doesn't tell us to carry our own burdens by ourselves. If you look at the rest of Galatians 6, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, I say it again, do not let us be weary for doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good for all people. This room is not a collection of fleshy little islands, right? It's not what we're here doing. We're a spiritual community. We're directed by God to lift each other up, to help shoulder the weights that can't be shouldered by ourselves, okay? I defy you to come up with a, a time 
in your life where you haven't had to pass a burden onto somebody else. We're commanded by God to do that, but conversely, we're also commanded by God to lift up other burdens, even at the expense of our own. And thank goodness the church is more than just the building, because I don't know how many more burdens this place can shoulder, right? But we have to stop putting up walls to compassion just because it's difficult or inconvenient or it doesn't fit with our political beliefs, right? Jesus didn't ask that woman if her son was a good person. He didn't say, what was he like? Did he pay his taxes, right? He didn't ask that. He didn't ask the son after bringing him back to life if he had properly registered for the census. He didn't ask that. He didn't give a woman the hug and just say, ah, call me if you need anything, see ya, and just walk away. No, he stopped. And he just did because love and empathy and compassion are feelings, yeah, but God doesn't ask us to feel feelings. He tells us to do. God tells us to an extent a hand even when it's full. So here's the other thing. At times, I said it's inconvenient and it, it could be difficult to bring in, but empathy and compassion sometimes put you at odds with the rules or expectations. Um, I was in my last year of college uh, at Marshall. Anyone? No? Yeah, there it is. Somebody, yeah, there's always one. Um, I was in Kroger uh, with a couple of my friends. And uh, we were in line behind a couple of other people picking up a few cases of um, chips. Thank you. Water with other additives. And, and there was another person in front of us. He also had his own cart uh, with, with uh, three cases of sparkling spring water with it. And then there's another guy in front of us uh, there. And he was the only guy actually doing any real shopping. And so you get in line at, at Kroger and, and you look and you just kind of, Kind of rubberneck and seaweed. So this guy had uh, you know, tuna, bread, pepperoni rolls, just food, basic foodstuffs. And he was counting out some cash to pay. And you know, we were there just kind of chit-chatting, whatever, and we really hadn't been paying attention. And then we started noticing that it was a, taking a really long time for this guy to pay for his, for his stuff. And finally, it was long enough for us to notice, and we looked over. And the uh, cashier was, was about our age, and she looked like she was about to cry, and we couldn't we look back, and we realized he was counting out money to pay, and he didn't have enough money to pay for his food. He, he couldn't pay for his food, so he was then trying to figure out what he was going to have to put back so that he could pay for his food. Uh, and, and this went on a little longer, and I'd like to say that this ends heroically for me and my friends, but it doesn't, because uh, the guy in front of us had to push his little cart out of the way, take out cash. And the guy walked up to the cashier, gave him the cash, said something, talked to the man, change, and the man left. And so there's the guy in front of us. And we just sat there, and well, I don't know why we just watched him. Because sometimes you just don't know what to do. But I watched him leave, and his clothes, he's just, he's, really, he's kind of dingy, right? Doesn't look like he'd really showered, his hair was kind of unkempt, and and greasy looking. I don't know if he was homeless. I don't know. But I know that when he left, he didn't go toward the bus stop. He didn't go to a car. He carried his groceries and started walking. I mean, he was walking back the other way on Fifth Avenue. There's no, I don't know where you would live that direction. That's where the college is. So 
he was struggling. I mean, he was struggling somehow if he was having to come up with a way to pay for groceries. So, you know, back to the shopping line, this guy's now short of money uh, for, for his cases of beer, I'll just say. And I'd like to say once again that me and my friends were heroic and, and we rewarded a good deed by paying for his beer, but we didn't do that. We just kind of sat there. Okay. Guy paid for his one case of beer and he left. Um, and before he left and before they finished their transaction, I heard the cashier say one thing to this guy, one thing. She looked the guy right in the face and she said, that was very kind. It was the only thing she said the entire time he was with her. That was very kind. And it was just the most open and honest, sincere expression of relief, sadness, just not relief that she was done dealing with a difficult customer, but relief that somebody did something to help another person who was in need. And so he leaves, and we're in line, and we pay for our bottles of water, and we leave too. And so we're out in the parking lot, and as we're walking by, he's parked near the front. He's leaning up against a car talking to one of his friends through a window. And we catch the friend in the car saying something, and then as we go by, we hear him say, because you gave your money to some homeless drug addict or whatever. So this guy, 21 years old, is in the line, and he has a decision to make. He can either bring cases of beer to a party with all of his friends with his wad of cash, or he can help out a human being to eat. And this guy didn't even hesitate. He pulled out money. He gave it to the cashier. The guy gets to eat. He didn't ask the guy if he deserved it, if he was a drug addict. He had no idea. He paid for the man to eat. And he was catching flack from his friend for doing the compassionate thing, probably without thinking about it. But he was defying his friends. He was defying the expectations placed on him. He was expected to bring that stuff back, and he didn't. If you go to Mark 1, verses 40 to 42, Jesus has something to say about this kind of action. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was clean. Check the end. Not only did he reach out his hand and he touched him, all right? Imagine living in a time where you didn't understand what germs were or antibiotics didn't exist, right? You didn't understand what caused these things. And this man reaches out and he touches somebody with this affliction that all you know is if you touch them, you're going to get it. And he reached out and he touched him. Can you imagine being a bystander there? His arm's going to fall off, right? But he didn't. He didn't even flinch. I mean, it's just not like he was, okay, you're healed, go. Right? He didn't just do the little, all right, all right, you're good. Go, healed. No, he didn't do that. He reached out and he touched him. Not only that, but at the end of the story, what does Jesus get for healing this guy? Verse 5. So he asked this guy, don't tell anybody about this. Just go, go in peace. Don't tell anyone. But instead he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. So what happens? As a result, Jesus could not enter a town openly anymore. He had to go outside and stay in the lonely places, and yet people still came. So the reward that Jesus got for being compassionate 
was to be never left alone ever again. That was what he got. Talk about an inconvenience to the nth degree. I mean, what a weird sensation to be so famous but so alienated from other people. I mean, celebrities talk about that bubble of celebrity, but celebrities are famous for nothing. I mean, not really. This, you know, Jesus was famous for being the son of God, right? For performing miracles, not for performing songs. So if I had to sum up the message here, where all of these little stories connect, right? It's weaponize your empathy. The world, and I'm sorry for those of you who are too young, the world does not thrive on happiness and compassion and empathy. Uh, the world, in fact, rewards the cruel, the selfish, the mean, right? Uh, I got a tiny little rebellious streak. It really never amounted to much. I never did graffiti. I mean, none of that stuff. Uh, but I did, I did color my hair different colors, like pink, purple, green, blue. That was just sort of my thing. Um, and it always made me really happy because when I was doing that at the same time, I was also serving in my church. So I was this green-haired, I grew up in a Catholic church, so I was a green-haired lector. So basically doing this, but imagine in a little Catholic church, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, and then the little green-haired guy walks down, right? So I always thought that was fun, and I was drum major um, my senior year of high school. Same thing, so da 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 da, da pink hair, right? It's not, as a teenager, I thought that was funny. I'm like, ha, these guys think I'm some, you know, in the 90s, that was different. You, you didn't dye your hair colors in a salon. They just didn't do that. They do that now. But it's a little different then. Uh, and, and my students now find it fascinating because inevitably college students want to ask you questions about your personal life. Uh, I don't know what their motives are. I don't really ask. But, Who do you listen to? What's on your Spotify account? I'm like, oh, I got heavy metal. Buttoned up shirt, glasses. I got, I've got big, thick glasses. I don't wear them here. So you wear listening. Yeah, it's fun because you're subverting expectations. And people always find that really interesting. And I've always found it interesting to do that. So to me, when I see Jesus doing these sorts of things, it really tickles that part of my brain where you want to be a pain in the butt to people's expectations, right? I mean, there are other reasons to do this, obviously. But, you know, we have this world that we've manufactured as humans where you can, you basically have to be, you know, to get ahead, the world tells you you got to be mean, you got to be self-centered, you got to be selfish, you got to be narrow-mindedly protectionist of your own interests and to get ahead, and then I see this example that Jesus made and go, nah, kindness, compassion, empathy. That's against the grain. Jesus was the embodiment of these ands. He reached out his hand and touched the leper, right? He said, don't cry, and he brought the son back to life. Humans have made the world the way it is, right? God didn't make the world like this. Compassion and empathy are radical in this world whether you know it or not. It's a radical thing to be compassionate and empathetic. That's why it's always refreshing if you watch the news when you see things like that happening. You're like, oh, wow, because it's in a big sea of bad news. Because it doesn't, I mean, there are reasons for that, but it doesn't sell. So Jesus knew that, and he didn't care 
about whether or not the son that he, that, that he brought back to life had broken any laws. He didn't wonder aloud when the leper was healed if he had put himself in the position to get leprosy. He didn't do that. He just healed him. He'd be healed. Go and be cleansed. He wielded love and compassion like a sword against a world that is uncaring and callous. And he was telling us, look, guys, it's not about the law. This has nothing to do with the law. This isn't about who deserves what. This is extending a hand, not an accusation or in judgment, but in compassion and empathy and love. The orphan, the widow, the leper, the sick, the refugee, the dying, the hurting. Jesus showed us how to love just as much as he showed us who to love. And choosing to be compassionate in a world that wants to punish you for it, that doesn't want to celebrate it, Jesus died for that. He died for that. It was so important that he showed us how to love and be compassionate that he died for it. And it's our job to live it and to live for it. Let's bow our heads.